Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Hi, Ashley. Hello, Candy. How are you today? (laughs) I'm good. Are you ready for this? I am really, really excited. This is our second interview in two days, you know, and these all just kind of happened right in a row. And I am really excited at the direction this is taking. I am too, I, beyond excited. In fact, here you go. Here's a little story that will illustrate my level of excitement. <laughs> you know, recently I was in a community theater production that was set in Texas. Yes. Our guest speaker today is from Dallas, Texas. Yes. And so when I went to Planet Fitness this morning to work out, I walked into a Louisville, Kentucky Planet Fitness wearing a t-shirt that says, don't mess with Texas. That's how excited I am about our interview today. So yeah, well, let's tell, let's tell everybody who it's going to be. Well, we are interviewing Cheryl Allison today, and some of you may know her as I did as the woman who is kind of Honk's mother. And for those who don't know who Honk is, the story behind this is it was during quarantine. There was this goose that had been abandoned at a lake. She went there and this goose just started to become attached to her and they formed this friendship and she starts posting everything on Instagram and they're now going to do a film and they've done a book. So I shot her off a quick message and said, Hey, would you like to be on our podcast? And I am floored to say that she agreed and said, sure. (laughs) So this, this podcast is amazing because in what other world could you just admire people from afar and then actually get to tell them how much you admire them? It's amazing. Just so excited to meet her and honored. Let's go ahead and bring her in. Let's do it. Cheryl, welcome to Scandal Water. We are so excited to have you here with us today. Thank you. I am happy to be here. I started following you early 2020. Is that when this all started happening with, with Honk? Yes. yes. So er, early 2020, I found this Instagram account and the reason it stuck out to me and I wanted to tell you is my family had a pet goose growing up and her name was oh. Bernice and she looks remarkably <laughs> like Honk and she was actually more my, my mom's pet, but Bernice niece would follow my mom everywhere she went. When she walked up to my Linux store, my grandmother's, when she walked up there, Bernice would follow behind her. And we also had two ducks and we named them Larry and Daryl and Daryl or three ducks, Larry, Daryl and Daryl. And then we had, and we had a, a white, a white duck named Clarence and Clarence was a little, he wasn't as smart as the other ones. We had to fix a little plank for him to go up and fall into the swimming pool. He just, he, 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 he just wasn't as smart as everybody else, but that is what drew me to your story. So when I saw that you guys were doing a film, I told Candy, oh my goodness, this crosses now mm-hmm. into territory with our um, show, not realizing that you were already in our territory of the film because of your extensive background, which I started mm-hmm. looking into after I, after we booked the interview. And then I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) 
I'm super, I'm, I'm very, I'm now way intimidated and I'm, I'm ready to retract and go, no, no, no. You don't really want to come on this show. <laughs> no, not at all. Believe me, I am not intimidating at all. <laughs> well, thank you for that. But Candy has a few background questions for you that we're going to get okay. started with before we jump to Mr. Honk. The love okay. of yeah. all of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, you've, you've led us into that first question. Looking at your resume, we were blown away. In fact, Ashley and I mm-hmm. joked because our tagline is, you know, interesting stories of the stage screen and everything in between. And that's you. You have done <laughs> it all from performing on Broadway. You've, you've sang at the Kennedy Center. You've acted. You've directed. You've, you know, created this directing company. You've done documentaries, all of it. Could you please just share with us a little bit of your life pre-honk, which is how maybe a lot of people know you. Yes, sure. You know what? I think I was destined to go into some type of performing. My parents both have their degrees in music and my father was a minister of music at a church for years. So I kind of grew up in that atmosphere. And then my mother, beautiful operatic singer and uh, was a music teacher for the majority of her career. So, you know, I grew up playing piano and taking voice lessons and playing cello. And, you know, there was just music always in our home. And so I'll never forget, I think it was around eighth grade, I got a little part in a little musical. And that's when I was bitten by that, uh-huh. you know, Broadway <laughs> bug. And uh-huh. I started going to see all of the, the tours that would come through Dallas with my parents. And I just knew right then that's what I want to do. And I'm going to move to New York. You know, I was very blessed to have really supportive parents. I think that that is a real big key to any performer's life because it's it's a tough life, you know, and and the work comes and goes. And so to have that uh, support at a very early age really helped give me confidence. They had one stipulation. They said, please go to college. And finish your degree because, you know, should your life take a different path, you could always fall back on Mm -hmm. teaching or Mm -hmm. something like that. So I did. So I went to college and I got my bachelor's and master's in vocal performance, actually in an emphasis in opera. But I decided, you know, my personality just was not (laughs) for the (laughs) opera world as much as I love it. I knew that, you know, musical theater really uh, was a fit for me. So when I graduated, I moved straight to New York and, you know, just like everybody else started auditioning and hitting those open calls. And I was obviously talent has a certain percentage to do with it, but then so much is luck because there are so many incredibly talented people out there, but it has to line up just with Mm -hmm. sort of the right timing. And I was very lucky. I landed one of the early on auditions I went to, and it was for a national tour of The Sound of Music. Were you Maria? Um, so, no, I wasn't. You know what? I was, I could see it, but I was too tall. I'm 5'11". And oh. so, um, you know, they didn't want Maria to be taller than the captain. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but you know what? I was Elsa. I was oh, always like Elsa, you know, uh, yeah. so sort of the villain girlfriend. Other productions, I've been Sister Margareta and things like that. So I was very lucky. I landed that tour and was out on the road for almost a year with that. And then that just kind of helped snowball, you know, more work after, mm-hmm. after that. So that's how I fell into, into the stage. That's amazing. It wow. really is. A, it really is a snowball. You just, it's like they yeah. talk about, you just need that 
one big break and then everything else just sort of seems to fall into place. Well, you know, it does. I mean, you go months without working mm. and, and, you know, the big joke is, you know, you can be performing in a Broadway production uh, and you're all there. And then the very next, you know, and then it closes and the next mm. day you see each other in the unemployment line. Right. <laughs> right. You know, you have to have that cushion to help carry you over to the next job. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I would you know, land, say a regional theater production somewhere, but it wasn't going to start for two or three months. Mm -hmm. And then you have to go, well, what am I going to do? You know, so a lot Mm -hmm. of us teach and I taught voice and had wonderful students and you do what you got to do. And then, um, you know, and then you, you go to that next job. You're also sort of a jack of all trades, you know, you, Mm -hmm. you audition for television, you audition for film, you know, Mm -hmm. because it all, it's all in the same wheelhouse, really. Do you have a preference? Mm -hmm. Film, television? You know, that's a great question. Early on in my career, and you know, and look, I always joke I'm an old broad. I've been doing this for 30 plus years. I was really focused on the stage, you know, yeah. that I think maybe I was a little insecure to do the other. That's what I did. And that's how I paid my bills. And I was out of town a lot in mm. a lot of these first national tours, these Broadway tours. And so didn't have a lot of time to audition for TV and film. Mm-hmm. I did do some, first it was sort of background work and then it turned into, you know, a day player with lines and things like that for a soap opera for As the World Turns. I started working on that. So, you know, quite frequently, I remember sort of being bored, like, you know, because you're so used to theater with that Mm -hmm. live energy. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, oh, you know, it's hurry up and wait, hurry up Mm -hmm. and wait. But, you know, as the years rolled on, I started to really love it because I started to really enjoy the other aspect of how intimate that type of acting is and how real and how less is more. Yes, Um, yes. You know, because on that stage, you know, you're obviously big, you know, you got got to get across those... uh, Footlights. I really enjoyed that part of it. It was so interesting to me. But really, the the television and film kind of didn't really start for me until almost 10 years ago. That's when I started to fall into it and did some films. And because of that, rolled into me wanting to start my own production company. Yep, it's all a snowball. See, but you said that it intimidated you when you were younger because you were on stage. You thought, I'm going to be on stage. I'll be intimidated to do film. There are now, now I feel like there are Hollywood stars that you're not considered a real actor unless you go on Broadway because of the memorization. So they revere the Broadway actors and they're intimidated by your all's work. And and, Mm -hmm. uh, hey, I'm with them because I feel like with film, if I screw up, we can take it again. But Broadway, oh my goodness, Broadway, that's like, that's the epitome for me. So, and now there's so many Broadway stars that are headlining television shows. Mm -hmm. It does help because you're used to to not only memorizing quickly, but the difference is you're used to delivering that performance Mm -hmm. really almost perfectly each and every time, because when you're on stage, you can't go cut. (laughs) I'm sorry. You know, I flubbed a line. We're used to that. And I think sometimes when people only have experience in television and film, they're so used to, you know, being able to stop and go, let me do it again. Mm -hmm. Let me do it again. You know, I messed up. And you know, that curtain comes up and they say places and you, you know, you're shot out of a cannon Yes. and, um, and you're used to thinking on your feet. So when something goes wrong or, 
or your fellow actor goes up on a line or you do, you know, you're saving each other. And there's just this energy that is not on a set for television or film, but it's a different energy that's on TV and film, which is really great too. So many people aspire, of course, to be on Broadway and here you are, you've had that experience. What would you share with us? Either something that we wouldn't expect, something surprising about being on Broadway, or maybe one of your favorite moments? Well, I'm going to kind of talk from the the teacher aspect that I that I would tell a lot of my students back then was that, first of all, it's, it's hard, right? You need to know your craft. Mm-hmm. So just because you may be able to sing, you know, beautifully, like Adina Menzel or something, right? You need more than that. I suggest that, you know, you should learn to read music, having a good ear so you can hold those parts, taking acting lessons, taking dance classes, even if you're not a dancer. I'm not a dancer. I always said I'm a singer who moves, but, you know, <laughs> I can hold my own if I if I have to move, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I did a production of Mamma Mia and there's some dancing in that and I could do that, but I would never be a dancer in Moulin Rouge, you know? <laughs> but, yeah. but know your craft and know that you have to work at it. It's not enough these days to just be talented and then treat it like a job, a business. You know, you show up, you know, your script, you've done your work, you, you get to the theater on time. You know, you, you need to treat it with the professionalism that it is. Does it feel like play? Yes. And are we all kind of goofy backstage and all of that? Yes. You know, I always thought don't ever lose sight that we may have done the show hundreds of times, right? In a two-year tour or something, but that audience member, it's their first time. Right. We have to do it like it's our first time with that kind of excitement and Mm -hmm. commitment. So I always kind of give that advice. I think one of the things that it's kind of very topical right now is that a lot of the Broadway shows have been having to shut down because of the Omicron variant, right? Mm -hmm. And so the swings and the understudies, I don't know if you've been reading, but they're having to go on. Mm -hmm. So everybody is like, you know, thank goodness for the swings and the understudies. And I'm so glad that is happening because I think a lot of times understudies and swings are are sort of either not understood, like what they do, right. or you sort of see, think it's like, oh, it's the second string. Right. You're not as good. Yeah. And I have to tell you, I've been on both sides. When I started my career, I would say that mostly I would, I would play a role, but then I was understudying someone or a lot of different parts. And there is a talent to be able to do that. Yes, there is. You a lot of times you're learning the the track they call it the role that that you're understudying from the sidelines. Yes, or during rehearsals from the from the seats out front, and you're just making notes. Oh, they cross left here. They do this, and sometimes you get you get thrown on without rehearsal. (sighs) So it's sort of that photographic memory that you're Mm -hmm. on and you don't have a chance to sort of get it in your body Mm -hmm. and know what it feels like. That's a talent in itself. And these swings and these understudies are what are keeping all of the uh, Broadway shows and, and the tours and, some of the regional theaters going right now. So the other and, night and when Hugh Jackman did that video, Candy yes, shared I saw it. That too. Was right. she a was she a swing or was she an understudy? I think um, she was a swing because he mentioned she, she had to learn eight parts. 
she was told and I think she had four hours. Yeah. But you know, it's funny when I saw that story about what happened to her and she was brilliant and so successful. And I thought Hugh Jackman was really wonderful to recognize her like he did. That happened to me once. I was was doing a show at Paper Mill Playhouse, which is in New Jersey. It's about 40 minutes outside of the city. And it's one of the largest regional theaters in the nation. So it's a great place to work. Everybody wants to work there. And I did about six shows there. I was doing a show. It was called Comfortable Shoes. And I was an understudy for one of the leads. uh, And I was also in the show. And all of a sudden, I get a call. I think I'm going to go, you know, we're just going in for the show. I had had no rehearsal. The person who I was understudying, her father unexpectedly passed away. And she had to go. And Mm -hmm. they said, get here as soon as possible. And I, I had about two and a half hours, two and a half, three hours. And they hit like what they felt like was the really hard parts and all of this stuff. And I'm singing the song and I'm learning, you know, the conductor is telling me, be sure to watch here. And this is when you come back in. And, (gasps) and then you have like stage managers saying like, don't back up too far because something's going to be flying in. You don't want to get your head. And, and so, and I do remember vividly then when I was driving out to, to do those about two hours of rehearsals and then go on that night, I remember thinking, I don't have to exit this freeway. I could just keep going. <laughs> I thought I can keep going and be in Texas in like a day. And I was like, I, and I did, I had that flight like out of and, and, you know, and I, <sighs> I wouldn't let anybody, any of my friends come to the show that night. I was yeah, like, cause I thought I'm not letting anybody fail. <laughs> um, and I, and you just, you just go on stage and everything like that. And when yeah. you go off stage, there was somebody with the book. So, you know, so I could look at the lines real quick from going on and then going, Oh, now oh, you go here, and, but it worked and it was a success, but that's what an understudy goes through. Wow. And most a lot of times they don't have sufficient rehearsals. So definitely a special talent mm. uh, to do that. The stress um, of not having the control, because I think actors always want to be able to control with knowing your lines, knowing your blocking and feeling like you somehow yeah. kind of can, you know, handle that situation, but bless your right. heart for taking that on. And- <laughs> well, oh. you know what? And, and to have both sides of it in times when I would do a show and, and not understudy because I had my own leading part or supporting part, it helped because I always reached out to my understudy or my, or the person swinging and was always saying, if you ever have any questions or you want to follow me or mm-hmm. anything, any way to help, because it takes everybody. And right now is a time when you're seeing it. Right. Can you imagine how that girl felt? Not only she walked into this, but then she was going to star opposite Hugh Jackman. I know. I can't. <laughs> I can't even. I can't, it oh it gives God. me heart palpitations. Yes. yes. I thought oh. you did. It brought back. I, I thought, God, it's bringing back PTSD for me when I went on <laughs> that time for two hours. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> since we're kind of talking about all these different areas of entertainment, is there a different memorable moment that you would want to share, whether it's television, film, state, whatever, some memorable, whether for a good reason or a not <laughs> so good reason, either way. Um, I mean, there's always funny things that happen on stage that you crack up about always. And you, you it's always the unexpected. I, I remember one time on the tour of Secret Garden, we were in the middle of a, of a scene and all of a sudden there was this huge explosion and the lighting board that was off stage right, something had happened and it just blew up. Oh, and no. I mean, it was, and we were all like, 
<laughs> and we just kind of kept saying it. And all of a sudden, the conductor was like, what? And then everything just dwindled down the audience. And we all just kind of stood there. And the manager came on and he was like, if the actors could please exit stage <laughs> calmly. And we were like, oh, my God. We just kind of like told the audience, okay, bye. <laughs> we walked off. They fixed it. I think we held curtain for about 30 minutes. And then they came out and they said, we had had a circuit, you know, issue with the lighting board. It is fixed. We're going to pick it back up. So we literally walked back on stage, kind of smiled. The audience was laughing and we were like, okay, okay. here we go. Wow. <laughs> you know, it was just crazy. Well, changing gears all together. Sure. You are the founder, producer, and director for WOW Film, which mm -hmm. listed lists as its mission that you are striving to create thought-provoking stories that deepen our understanding of the human spirit. So could you share with us a little bit about your production company and what inspired you to create it? Yes. And thank you for asking about that. One thing I think was the catapulted me into wanting to do this was I had been cast to star in a feature film called No Letting Go. Mm -hmm. oh, yes. And a dear friend of mine was actually producing it. And it was a true story based on a woman whose young son had been diagnosed with a mental health disorder. Mm -hmm. And it was about her struggle and finding him help and things. And I saw how that movie, once it came out, really started to help and raise awareness mm -hmm. for the mental health community. Mm -hmm. And it and now it screens educationally everywhere. And the woman who who I you know had the honor of playing, she goes and talks about it. And I really saw the power of film and how it can make a difference, mm -hmm. uh, especially for marginalized groups mm -hmm. or groups where there is a stigma and there is a stigma around mental health. It really moved me. I've always been a fan of documentaries. I just think it's the greatest reality TV out there. And I came across a story here that I'm actually still working on. It's been five years that inspired me to start the production company because I started filming this person's story. That's where Wow Films was created. And I thought it's a lot of work, especially mm -hmm. as an indie filmmaker. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have huge budgets. I'm not funded by, you know, Sony Pictures or anything like that. So I thought if I'm going to, to do a narrative or do a documentary, it has to be something that I feel is activism through art. Oh, That's I like what that. I call it. To speak either about a human rights issue or marginalized group, because it to me, then it's worth it. It's worth all of the blood, sweat and tears that goes into it. Mm -hmm. That's how it started. And, and now I feel very blessed because there have been occasions now where I'm being hired where I'm not having to fund it myself, where somebody's maybe seen some of my work and hires me now to come on as a director and help produce and then direct a documentary, but I'm not having to fund it, which is brilliant because yeah. I'm, I'm actually <laughs> able to make a little bit of a living with it right? And, and put it into some of my other passion projects. And by the way, can we say how amazing you were in No Letting Go? I mean, just Aww. an absolutely powerful performance and what an amazing story. I was telling Candy, I I watched it this morning. I started it on my treadmill and then <laughs> I got to the the one scene that the image of the mother putting the headphones on the little boy in bed. Oh yeah. That just because I went, oh my gosh, they're gonna tell him yeah. that they're gonna put him in um, we don't want to give yeah. too many spoilers but there was something they were going to tell the son that he was not going to react yeah. well to and just that foreshadowing it just 
I teared up and then I went and I was, you know, after I took a shower, I was finishing it and I thought, oh, I can't put my makeup on yet because that whole scene and then the scene where you were struggling with him in the living room and it was just, the emotion was so, I'm I'm tearing up again. The emotion was so raw. It just really moved me internally. So I just wanted to let you know that it's very, very good. The the woman who the film is based on and she was a co-writer Mm-hmm. of it. Her name is Randy Silverman. Mm-hmm. And she developed the Youth uh, Mental Health Project, which mm-hmm. is a nonprofit that helps raise awareness and does a lot of advocacy for youth mental health. And mm-hmm. it's just film has done a lot of good. And I was just very, very proud to be a part of it. And I also think that that was really started my love of, of also acting in film. The part was so big that it really taught me what that was like to go to those really intimate, tough places that you normally don't go to on stage. No, yeah, you do, yeah. but not, it, it would be hard to go to that extent every single night. And what I liked about your performance in it is that you made the lines sound natural and there's a real way that you can make it sound conversational. And sometimes in independent film, I, Candy and I have been part of several independent films. I've directed a couple, I've written one. And oh, so, yeah. So I know, I know the struggle of having to create these things and trying to make the performances authentic. And oftentimes it was just, it was just friends of ours that were creating this together. Cause we were, right. we weren't even low budget. We were no budget, but we, <laughs> we made these, we made these things together. And so it's just, that's another thing that I could appreciate. And I, I always read the credits of those. And I saw that Randy was woman on lake like she was the mom or mom at the lake yes she got to have a cameo she had a little cameo tell you a little behind the scenes which i think helps is and it goes back to training right so if you're trained our director his name is jonathan bakari he's from Mm -hmm. france and he a wonderful director but he allowed, and, and let me just state too, my co-star Richard Berge is amazing. He's, you know, I don't know people out there that ever watched Desperate Housewives or things like that. You know, he, he was in, he was a lead mm-hmm. in Desperate Housewives. That's where like, I saw him. I kept wondering, I've seen this handsome man yes. before. Where have I seen He's him? So cute. He's so adorable. And, and of course, Kathy and Jimmy is so well known. Yes. Um, right. I adore mm-hmm. her. So Jonathan allowed us to improv. So what happened was, you know, you have the script and, and you have it and it was written really well. But sometimes, you know, when you have a director who says, okay, do it once as written. Now we're going to do it. And, you know, you can loosen it up a little bit. And it doesn't mean you change the direction of the scene, but you can sort of play with it a bit and put it into your own Mm -hmm. words. And Richard was really really good at that. And so was Kathy and Jimmy. And I, I, my chops got better by having to kind of hit the ball back to them and play with them. And so some of those scenes, especially between the husband and wife, we were ad-libbing a little bit and that's why it felt so real, I think, and connected. And then sometimes it, you know, the stakes are just so high because it was an indie film. Sometimes we could only do a take like one time. We only had the time to do it. So, you know, that's, that's tough. You know, you just have to like, get there right away. I, I was just going to say as an educator, when I watched your your film just recently and then read a little bit about it, I was really drawn to how important it is because bringing out the fact that mental illness, especially in young children, goes goes undiagnosed altogether or, or it takes a long time. And then of course the associations with how it could maybe possibly lead to, to suicidal thoughts or yeah. just different things that were so disturbing. And then knowing that our pandemic has only heightened some of these exactly. mental health concerns for everyone, 
but also for mm-hmm. our children. And so I would just encourage people if they've not seen No Letting Go, you should watch it. Not only for Cheryl's performance, was, which was amazing. And she, you had three awards for lead actress, as I recall, but also just because it's an important story. So just yeah. for our listeners, go check that movie out. And I'll but, put the link in, I'll put the, link in the show that. notes for sure. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for suggesting that. I think it only helps, you know, to raise awareness and, um, and you know, so many times to, to kind of expand on what you just said, the parents are blamed. Yeah. Why can't they, why can't they control their kid? What's going on Mm -hmm. at home? And nobody says that if God forbid your child has a disease or has cancer, God forbid, nobody goes, well, what did they do to give that kid kid? They don't do it. And so until mental health, it it is a physical illness. It's just an invisible Mm -hmm. illness. So there, yeah. until people realize that they're still going to always be a struggle and, and, and stigma around it. As you said, Cheryl, your production company is, is really focused around telling stories that you feel are important um, and raising awareness. And we had noticed that we, we felt like your No Letting Go movie, which as you've just said, um, really helped to raise awareness of these mental health issues, mm-hmm. mental illness with, especially within children. And then of course, you also used honk as a vehicle to raise awareness about the issue of dumping domestic geese. And so our question is, what are your thoughts about the role or the responsibility of people in the entertainment industry for encouraging positive change within our society? That's a great question. I think it's incredibly important. And I think it's just something that is innate in our industry Because if you think about it, Shakespeare, he was writing about the political times. Mm -hmm. He might do it in a satirical way and in a comedy, but operas back then, they were all talking about what was going on with the current affairs and having an opinion and raising awareness about it. So I think the arts have always done that. And I do think that it's important for arts to still also be an escape. So you can go and just have a good time. You can go see Mamma Mia and you just dance and laugh and you're helping someone forget their worries for Mm -hmm. two and a half hours. And then I also think it's important that when you go see a theater piece or a movie or a film that makes you stop and think and go, wow, wow, I didn't realize that or make them question the way they see you know, maybe a certain group of people or a certain subject matters. I personally think it's really important. And I try to take my documentaries, obviously acting wise, I'm associated now because of being the lead actress, I'm associated now with raising awareness for mental health. And there's times I go as they bring me out as a lead actress for the screening and I can talk to them about what it was like to portray her. I've done a a short film about sexual assault. Mm -hmm. I did a documentary that I was inspired by the Me Too movement and what was my city of Dallas doing about it? Were we talking about it? Were our churches talking about it? And then I was hired recently and the film is now out to direct a documentary feature called Pieces of Us, which follows the journey of several LGBTQ plus hate crime survivors Mm -hmm. who have taken something horrific as a hate crime and turned it into positive result by bringing together a lot of people to help with the healing, turning hate into love, forming a community of support. You know, if somebody watches that film and and says, wow, you know, I didn't know that that was happening or I I never looked at it that way, Mm -hmm. or they start to raise their awareness, that helps because it's forging that dialogue And sometimes I think film can do that. 
Right. And I hope it does because, you know, we're, we're in a divisive time now. And I think if we can learn to sort of just talk to each other again and be able to just sort of open our minds to go, you know, I, I didn't know that was your experience or I didn't realize that. I think that can make a difference because leading into Honk, this is what's amazing. Honk has brought together people worldwide. Yeah. And I am telling you, it's people of all different backgrounds, all different faiths, all different political affiliations, all different sexual orientations, gender identities. It's people from the whole gamut. And they have all come together because all they care about is the well-being of this goose mm-hmm. just based on love. It took a goose <laughs> to sort of give, give people this lifeline during a really tough time. Yeah. And I thought, wow, you know, it was funny. You know, I thought, my gosh, everything I've done, it's sort of like it's all wrapped up in this little goose, wow. you know, because it is about love. If people can think that sounds sort of cheesy, but it's the truth. I agree. I think that was beautifully I, said. That, yeah. So that kind of leads us into honk, right? There we go. So before we move into talking about honk, why don't we take a little break? Sounds good to me. Hi friends, it's Candy again. Ashley and I are excited to announce that our February giveaway is a chance to win a beautiful illustrated hardback copy of the children's book, Honk, a true story about a girl, a goose, and a fairy tale ending personally autographed by Cheryl. Look for the details on our Scandal Water podcast Facebook page and enter today. The winner will be announced on our Facebook page on February 28th. Good luck. And we are back. So I'm going to take over talking about Honk since that's where I kind of met you. And the questions I had for you about him was, why did you go to the lake that day? Because you mentioned, I think it was in the dodo, that you wanted to take a photograph. Was this something out of the ordinary for you? And do you feel like meeting Honk was a coincidence or was it meant to be? Oh, well, I'll tell you why I headed that direction and ended up meeting him. It was the end of March. 2020, towards the end, as you know, COVID was starting to break out everywhere, Mm -hmm. lockdowns, all of that. And so Dallas was locked down, working from home, all of that. And so I live in a condominium building, our gyms were closed, all of that. So to get exercise, I know that they had recommended, you know, you can go out and take a walk, that's safe. So I started taking long walks. I'm a runner. I love to run. So I would do my runs and my walks throughout the neighborhood where I live. And I live in an area in Dallas called Turtle Creek, which has this beautiful creek. And sometimes it opens up to, you know, a bigger pond, you know, and then it'll go back into the creek and then another pond, you know, up a few, you know, several blocks. So I kind of found this path that I love to run outside. And one day I was running and it was just a beautiful day. And I had my iPhone and I stopped and in the pond where I was just looked really beautiful the way the sun was hitting it. So I crossed the street and I walked over to take a picture. And when I did, I I just started hearing this, I call it a bizarre honking sound. I didn't know (laughs) what it was. And I turned and there was this goose, Mm -hmm. this big goose. And, and he's running as fast as he can towards me honking. (laughs) I was taken back and scared because I'd never seen a goose. Oh. I'm a city girl. I was like, <laughs> what is that? That's the biggest duck I've ever seen. 
So then I, I realized, you know, it's a goose, but I just talked to him a minute. I started to video him, you know, cause I just thought it was so funny. And so then I was like, well, have a good day. And I started to walk home. I started to cross the street to head back home. And I hear the honking and I turn around and he is crossing the street in traffic. Oh, no. He's heading back after me. And the first reaction I did was I thought, well, I better run to get up, you know, to stop following me. So I started jogging and he started panicking, honking more. And he got in the middle of the street and started running down the middle of the street. Oh, oh no. And I turned around and cars were stopping. And that's when I was like, well, I can't leave this goose in the yeah. middle of the street. So I turned around and I just said, come on, come on. And I started to walk him back. And I did. I remember this woman rolled down the window and said, is that your goose? <laughs> <laughs> With the biggest Texas accent you've ever heard. And I was like, no, I just <laughs> met this goose. So I took him back to the park and I was able to guide him down to the water and I just kind of stayed there. And so eventually he, he went into the water to start to bathe. And when he was ducking his head underwater, I ran behind these, these hedges, these big oh. bushes. So he couldn't see me. And then he mm -hmm. turned around, he panicked, oh. but he didn't see me. So he didn't run. And so then he just got in the water and swam across the pond. Mm. That's how I met him. The rest is history, but it was um, the most bizarre thing. So that's why when I came home, I was like, what happened? Yeah. And I went back the next day because I was just like, this was just weird. And I had posted on Facebook, like this goose tried to follow me home. And people responded like hundreds of replies and likes wow. and, you know, just going, well, what happened to him? So I went back the next day and I saw him across the pond and I just thought, well, boy, he talks a lot. I'm just going to, I'm just going to yell honk, like yeah. honk. And I did. And his head perked up and he got so excited and he jumped in that water and swam to me as fast as he could. And I videoed oh. the whole thing live on Facebook. That kind of started the journey of our friendship and me trying to figure out like what his story was, why he was there, why he was alone. So do you feel like it was meant to be or just a coincidence? No, I, I think it was meant to be. I, yeah. I believe in that. I, really I do too. Believe in sort of things like that. I think it was meant to be because of the way Honk and then the way our relationship is has touched so many people. And, and then it's just one of those big pay it forward. Like it's just, ra it's raising awareness. It's, mm -hmm. it's helped all of that, but then rescuing him eventually and getting him to the Rogers Wildlife Rehabilitation right. Center has paid it forward for them right? because he's so well known now that when they need, you know, they're a nonprofit, they get no funding from the state of Texas. So it's all by donations. They get 4,000 birds a year oh that goodness. either need rehabilitation and then they re-release them if they're wild birds or waterfowl. Mm -hmm. And then some that are injured and can't be released or some that are like honk that are domestic and should yeah. never be in the wild in the first place. So when they're in need of things, whether it's money or they're trying to buy heat lamps for the birds for the winter, I'll go on Honk's Instagram and I'll just say, if you can donate, mm -hmm. here's their Amazon wish list. And I have to tell you, one time they received like 50 heat lamps. Like Kathy Rogers, the head of Rogers, was like, we don't even know where to store all of this. Wow. So oh, that's, awesome. that's when I think, no, this was meant to be. Yeah. And then the messages I've received from people worldwide, which I include in the film, actually, 
there's a section in the film where I have received messages. One woman was from Pakistan and said how Honk really helped her stay positive during a really tough time. One woman from the UK said that their shutdown seemed like it was never ending. And Honk was the one thing she looked forward to to seeing Mm. every day. I've had messages from the Netherlands, from Portugal, from Australia. I mean, everywhere. There's a reason that Honk came into my life and then in turn came into everybody's life. So what do you like best about Honk's personality? What is it about him that endeared him? Self to you. Oh my gosh, he's so funny. You know what is is so great is that it it, it feels like he understands what I'm saying. Because when he was still at the park and I, I was not rescuing him yet because I thought he had a mate, uh, which he did, but I hadn't found her yet. We would do these selfie videos and Facebook Live and all that stuff. And he would sit, he just sits over my shoulder because <laughs> that that's his protective stance. Because oh. geese are almost like watchdogs. They, yes, they are. They're loud. They, they're always nervous. They're always looking around, making sure nothing's happening. So he would like to sit behind me and that's how he would protect me. So he was behind mm. me and he could see everything. And so his little head's here and I would be talking and he would just like look at me and look at, and I'd look at him and I'd, I'd go right. And he would like answer me. And I almost felt like I was dealing with a Muppet. I thought like I was on the Muppet show because he's so cute. So I think my favorite thing about him is how he actually talks. And then when I watch these videos back, it's like he's listening. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's hilarious. So he's super funny that way. He's got a great sense of humor. And I've learned all of his noises. Like he has mm-hmm. a certain sound when I walk off, mm-hmm. when I come and greet him, he has a certain sound. And then when we just sit and talk, he's got a different sound. I mean, it's just super, super cute. Yeah, you do learn them. You learn their personalities. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I wasn't petting him when I first met him and stuff. I was a little nervous. Right. So he tried to sort of peck at my skin because that's sort of how they give kisses. I, I was a little nervous those first couple of weeks being with him and I barely try to touch him. And now... Oh my gosh, he puts his little beak in my hand. He, he, you know, he's always got spinach hanging out of his mouth. He's totally messy. <laughs> and I'm always taking the spinach out of his mouth. You know, he's super just adorable. And I had no idea, like, I, I feel like he is mine. Just like I have a beautiful cat that I'm in love with, 14 pound, long haired tabby. So I feel like he's just, you know, like my cat. He just doesn't right. live with me, you know, right. he lives right. in Rogers. Did you ever find out why he was alone and why he couldn't leave the lake? Cause you, I think you mentioned yes. that on the video too. He could not leave. So what was, what was that about? No, he couldn't. And the one reason is that when I started posting videos about him, I have, I have a very dear friend of mine in New York, one of my best friends named Judy, who's a big Broadway star. Oh, cool. She starred in Mama Mia for like 10 years on Broadway. So Judy McLean, that is her name. But she is also a huge animal advocate. And when I sent her the video, because I said, you're not going to believe this. She said, Cher, that is a domestic goose. And, Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know what that meant. But she went on to explain it to me. And then she introduced me to a friend of hers who is actually a waterfowl rescuer in New York. But there are wild geese, like the Canada geese. And then there are like, there's some snow geese, things like that, that are wild. They can fly, they migrate, all of that. Then there are domestic geese. Honk is a Toulouse goose. That's his breed. The uh, most domestic geese, and a lot of them are like the white ones that have the big bulb on their nose. Mm -hmm. African geese or Chinese geese, that they're usually domesticated. They're raised in farms for their meat or their foie gras. And 
so they're bred to be very heavy because obviously for that, right. because of their heaviness and the way they have developed over these, you know, centuries of breeding, they cannot fly. Okay. They're too heavy. Okay. So I see Honk flap his wings and he goes one or two feet above the ground or water. And then he only goes for maybe 30, 40 yards and then he lands. He can't, he can't take flight. So he could not leave. And so that's what dumping ducks and geese mean when you go to a pet store and you see the quote unquote Easter ducks right, that are all bred for people to the little yellow ducks that are going to turn white when they get older, you know, and then the parents buy them for their kids, right. you know, for the holiday or something. And I don't blame the parents because they don't know because right. there, there's not an education about it. It's just about raising awareness. So once the duck gets too big, or the goose, because they're hard to keep unless yeah, you really are. do have sort of like a farmland yeah. or something like that. And they're messy, you know, they mm -hmm. then go, oh, well, we'll just take them down to our local pond and then we can go back and visit them. Mm -hmm. But what happens is they can never fly away. So they can't fly away from predators. They are not bred for that, for being out in the extreme weathers. Most of them don't know how to forage for food because they've been raised from babies as that. And so they normally have very short lifespans. They also usually, you know, they get hooked in fishing lines and hooks. And I found a hook in Honk's wing one day when I went and I found fishing line around his leg the other day. I've seen him pick up a plastic bottle cap mm -hmm. and start to eat it. And that will kill him because it'll lodge in their throat right, and right. then form an abscess. So there's just a plethora of dangers that they have to navigate on a daily basis. So it's no different than dumping a domestic dog or mm -hmm. cat. I learned all of that. I, I did not know one thing about this. I had learned in talking to some of the park goers that there was a white domestic goose that had at some point years ago, about five years ago, been dumped at that pond. And she had been dumped with her mate and they, you know, and it, they are a little bit safer when, you know, you've got two, but it's still tough. And they were at that pond together. And then he was hit by a car oh. and killed. So she was all by herself. So a woman who lives in the area thought she was doing the right thing. Instead of rescuing her and taking her like to Rogers, she found a farmer who lives, you know, in North Texas who had raised Honk from a baby oh. on, and Honk was already about four or five, and she bought him, and she brought him, and she just dumped him oh. at the pond to be with this other goose. So you can imagine mm. Honk's world was rocked. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, and they found each other, and of course, I, I don't think they were mates, but they were, you know, obviously hooked best friends. There they were. So they spent their days together, and I actually have a picture of them together that somebody had taken and given to me. It's all in the documentary. And then... When I found Honk, he was always by himself, did not know what was going on. And he was very desperate. He seemed anxious, like he had separation anxiety from me. And I realize now it's because his mate had passed, his mate, and I found her. Oh. I went searching for her because when we found out he had a mate, I was told by the animal activist from New York who was helping me, she said, well, you can't take him if he has a mate. And I had heard that, that a lot of times during that time, she'd be sitting on a nest. And I don't think her eggs were ever fertilized, though, because there were never any babies anybody saw. But they've said, oh, yeah, he's got a mate. She's up the creek. 
you can't take him. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's why I hung out with him. I thought, and then mm-hmm. when almost six weeks passed, he was finding with a hook. And I saw him one time almost get hit by a car. And I was like, I have to do something. So I started going back into more of the wooded park of uh, the creek, trying mm-hmm. to find her. And one day I did, and she was dead on her nest. Somebody else I talked to, it was like doing detective work. Right. A gentleman told me he had seen her like the middle of March, like right before I met Honk. And it looked like she had a big lump on the side of her neck, which when I talked to Kathy Rogers from Rogers Wildlife, she said more than likely than she she swallowed probably like either a small fishing lure or a bottle cap or something like that. And it lodged. When I met Hunk, he knew she, because she he was, was down there. He would be at that part of the creek way up there. And then I'd call and he'd come down. He knew she was gone and he was panicked. Oh. He, he was probably traumatized. He was grieving. He didn't know what to do. Yeah. And I think, you know, I talked sweet to him and he just decided you have to help me. Yeah. And I'm just incredibly grateful and thankful that I, I did. I listened because mm-hmm. I thought mm-hmm. how, there's a lot of people that don't listen to animals. And so I'm just so thankful that I did. So how did you discover and choose Rogers Wildlife for Honk's new home? How did you pick them? Um, Were they the only ones or you chose them specifically? I chose them specifically, but also they're very close here. But I didn't know of them at first. And a friend of mine sent me a message on, on Facebook Messenger and said, listen, if you're starting to look for a place to take him, you should look into Rogers Wildlife Rehabilitation Center. She goes, I taken several injured birds there and and especially during baby bird season when they fall out of the nest yeah she goes Kathy Rogers is amazing she's done this for four over 40 years and they're only 15 minutes south of Dallas so from my home to home it takes me 20 minutes Perfect. So I thought, oh my gosh, I could visit him all the time. And, and believe me, I had sanctuaries and different places contacting me wanting him. Right. Because mm. he got so popular and like one was down near Houston and all of this. And I just thought selfishly, I wanted to be able to see him, but I also wanted the best environment for him. And I also knew that he has to be around people. He's so domesticated. Right. He, he must've been like the farmer's daughter's pet or something. Because- yes. <laughs> Or son's pet, because he would rather almost be with people than other geese. When I went and met with Kathy Rogers and I saw the place and the work they do, and like she's the first one to say, this is not a sanctuary like you see in the Northeast with the beautiful red barns and the rolling green hills. This is the country out there in Texas. It's not one for aesthetics, you know, looking like the prettiest in the world, but they do the best work in the world. They protect them. They all sleep in these protected large sleeping enclosures at night to protect them from any type of predators or anything like that. And then the whole property is fenced in, but you know, you never can say, I can't, you know, a coyote can't jump it or a bobcat. So they do great and they rarely lose any of them. And they're all in that protective enclosure at night. And also what I love about it is she is over the years has become just this huge medical person. And she can usually treat most of any injuries, whether it's a cut, whether it's something like that. And then of course she has a wonderful vet that if it's something beyond her capabilities, she calls. And so they have their little sort of like hospital right there, which I love because one time Honk stepped on like a hard piece of gravel or something and it cut his foot and they had him right in there. She's doing the antibiotic healed like that. They kept him in one nine in there, but Honk actually prefers to stay right near them. He doesn't go roam the whole grounds. He stays in what's this 
large protected like courtyard enclosure, mm -hmm. which I love because that's mm -hmm. even more protection. Because mm -hmm. he follows his her staff around, whatever they're doing, he follows them around. <laughs> he talks to them. He tells them if they're doing it wrong <laughs> or right. <laughs> so. He is so happy and he's made so many friends. His best friend right now is a male goose, actually Canada goose. That's a wild goose, but it's injured. And so oh. it can never be re-released. And they raised it since it was a little gosling. So it's very domesticated, but it was never going to be able to be re-released. And they named him Beetle Goose. <laughs> Is that the cutest? So Honk and Beetle Goose, they go around everywhere together. And then, of course, he still sees his girlfriend, Brenda. I've, that's my next question he, is tell everybody who Brenda is and their well, whole relationship. Brenda, and, you know, I, I, I realized that geese are very fickle. So, you know, he, you know, he flirts with Brenda and then all of a sudden he was hanging out with another one named Gertrude. So I just, <laughs> I just decided I don't ask questions. I let them have the relationship they want to have. But he still really loves Brenda and she is so funny. They hung out together all the time. And then I think they got bored with each other and they had some new ducks, domestic ducks. The white ducks were dumped somewhere and somebody came in. They started getting a lot of them a few months uh -huh. after Easter, see? And Brenda fell in love with these female ducks and they're her best friends. And so they go off during the day and they just sit under the trees and hang together. It's like the ladies who lunch. And then about, about mid-afternoon, late afternoon, Brenda will come back into that. And I've seen it in the inner courtyard and then honk sees her and they both honk and they go and they talk to each other. I don't know what they're saying and they kind of hang out and then honk's sort of like, all right, I'm going back to Beetle Goose. And she goes back <laughs> to the ducks. It's so funny. That's so it's cute. Funny, but, oh, there's a turkey he hangs out with and a rooster. It's just really cute. He ignores the pelicans. He's sort of like, ugh. <laughs> Those guys. You know, they're just <laughs> everywhere and honk's just like, yeah. They don't hang out, the pelicans and him. They just ignore each other. There's just so much stimulation for him, which is so great. Because when I think about how lonely, like when I would leave, mm. he would, that park, he would try to follow me. And yeah. when I would arrive and he wouldn't see me, I would just see him standing alone, looking mm. around. So now I show up and he's usually somewhere with one of them. I call him and then he comes running. He's got a mm. great home. He's been there now for over a year and a half. Oh yeah. So how, how long did it take you to decide to do something with him? That six weeks when you found his mate after that you decided yeah, the minute I found her I had to do it I had so many factors going on which was obviously I had seen him fishing line with the fishing hook yeah. I saw him cross the street and a car was coming one time over Memorial Day weekend I went to go see him because I would go almost every other day because I was just so like he's alone and I'm like he's only a few blocks up it just would kill me I drove up and there was a group of about 30 young men and women that were having like a picnic, right? Because we were all still having to do stuff outdoors. I know they were drinking, you, you know, you could tell. And these guys, Honk was over there at the edge of the pond and they went over trying to grab at him and to grab his uh. so They They wanted to try to do a picture. Well, Honk got really agitated and started sticking his neck out and honking. And, and then they were trying to chase him and Honk's trying to run. Well, I flew out of that car. No. So I stopped that right away. Yeah. But I just realized like what is happening to him when I'm not there? So the minute I found her, I started right away to start to look. And I think I called Rogers almost two days after and I went out 
to visit Rogers first. I wasn't going to just take him sure. without going out there first and meeting with them. And I also needed to let them know, like, I'm bringing you a goose that a lot of people are invested in. Mm-hmm. So that sort of put Rogers on the, you know, yeah. in a spotlight and, and a pressure on them as well, that this was going to be a good fit for Honk and everything. Because with the factor of him getting this celebrity type of status also was putting pressure on me to rescue him because people would write me and go, where is he? I live in Dallas. I want to go see him. And I never gave out where he was. People knew it was this area and my yeah. friends, because they'd be like, oh, my friend in Turtle Creek. But I'd have people go, where in Turtle Creek? And, and they were starting to try to figure out yeah. by the way the videos were. And I was just nervous, you know, because Kathy even told me that unfortunately, humans are really the greatest danger mm. to them. And you even have people that come and get them because they're going to go take them and they're going to eat them. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, you have people... We have uh, geese that go missing on the lakes all the time because somebody comes and gets them. And, you know, so I, I just was so thankful because I started to realize when he started to get popular, even before he was getting popular, I thought, you know, this would be a cute documentary story. Mm-hmm. And as a filmmaker and people seem to love it so much, I thought, well, let me do this. And then when the Dodo covered the story, it took I, mean, off. He, I think he had a thousand Instagram followers and within three days, he was up to like 60,000 and then 65,000. Wow. And that's when it started to kind of go out of control. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to film this, but we've got his safety comes first, no matter what. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to keep him here for the sake of sensationalizing him and for marketing. But I wasn't going to take him until I knew what was happening with his mate, because I thought that's not fair. That's when I just started filming and, and doing that. And, and, you know, at one point, my, my producing partner on the film said, you know, Cheryl, you don't really know how this is going to end. Like Mm -hmm. it could end bad. Like Mm -hmm. every time I went there, I thought I might find him Mm -hmm. gone. Somebody's Mm -hmm. taken him or dead. I thought, wow. So I was just so happy that I did. That's why I'm like, I think that's why I did the log line, a goose, a girl and a fairy tale ending. Yes. Because mm-hmm. I really, really wanted that fairy tale ending for him. And I think we all needed it too. Speaking of that fairy tale ending, how has your life changed since meeting Honk? And I don't mean on a grand scale, like the film and all of the viral right. video. How has your life changed in the, the smaller ways? Maybe the ways that count. Yeah. For me personally, it just reminded me to stop and listen Mm -hmm. and watch it's so easy to not be in the moment Mm -hmm. when we have so much social media and I I have the biggest problem with it right because my business is about self-promotion I always take my phone everywhere if my text goes off I know it because I can see it on my phone you're never really disconnected from that I think I learned to really just go and sit in nature and be in that moment because we can learn so much from a bird, from a squirrel, from a turtle, anything by just watching them. And if you don't believe me, just go do it. And you know, that's what I say to the, to the listeners, because then you'll, you'll see. So I think that's one way that it changed me. And then on a little bit of a bigger scale, but just still for me personally, I think when COVID hit and, and also, like I said, the world and our country, just everything that just felt broken and divided. And I'm generally a really joyous person and I wasn't feeling a lot of joy. I was just feeling like, oh my God, you know, what is happening? So the way I saw people rally around honk and then talk to each other on Mm -hmm. Instagram. Like somebody would say, I found a duck. And then somebody would say, oh, this is what I learned. And you can do this. And people were helping each other and people 
we're talking to each other like, yeah, don't you love hugs? Me too. I'm from the Netherlands. Oh, I'm from Ireland. I realized like it gave me hope again, sort of because it's easy to lose your faith in humanity when you mm-hmm. see such of the ugliness. And I think a lot of the ugliness is what gets out there in the media. They think kind of, I think they always think sells more papers, so to speak. For Honk's story, which was truly pure and love, mm-hmm. and there's no ulterior motive, that gave me hope again. Mm-hmm. I thought there's more of us with love than of them, mm-hmm. you know, than the ones that are going to come and try to take Honk and kill him. Or, you know, or the boys who were trying to grab his feathers, you know, there's more of us than that. That gave me hope. And I needed that. And so then, of course, on the grand scale, I think everybody else did, too. Yeah, I love that. Well, you've mentioned that at some point along the way, you realized as a filmmaker, this is a great story and you wanted to, mm-hmm. to tell it in that way. Yeah. What led you to decide it would also make a good book for children? Because you have <gasps> Honk, a true story about a goose, a girl, and a fairy tale ending, yes. which is a story coloring and activity book that's out there. Can you tell us a little yes. about that? Yes. Well, I was very fortunate in that when on social media, I had said I was going to start making a documentary. There is an organization here. We have a beautiful lake in Dallas called White Rock Lake. It's it's like nine miles all the way around, right in the heart of Dallas. Beautiful. And there's an organization that's called Friends of the Bathhouse, the old White Rock Lake Bathhouse, where back in the 20s, you know, they used to swim in the lake. And now it's an arts and cultural center. And they have performances there. They'll have art shows, that sort of thing. They had asked Honk and I to Zoom with their children's program they have back when he was still at the park. And of course, everything was online, you know, the kids couldn't come together. And it was very popular. From that, they were so generous. They offered me a grant. And they funded the documentary. And so that's all been funded. And then they became so invested in Honk's story that a woman who who was involved with the with this organization her name is Marty Van Cleek she mm. came to me and said we'd also like to give a grant to have a children's book we think Honk's story would be great for children yes. so they granted that money and Marty and I co-wrote the book together awesome. and we had a you know wonderful illustrator because there's two books there's oh. the activity book which is a coloring book for children. So you can color the pictures of Honk and I. It tells the story of Honk and I. But then there are crossword puzzles. There's word searches, Mm -hmm. word finds. There's dot to dots. There's multiple choice. There's things that basically are educating them, like Mm -hmm. about dumb ducks and what have you learned not to feed them in the park. Is bread good for them, true or false? You know, that sort of thing. And then that was so successful then that we still had money to do the same story. It's the same story but it's a reusable book because the activity book is really a a Mm one-time book once the kids use it. Mm -hmm. And this is the hardbound copy, beautiful color, watercolor illustration. I saw some of those. Those are beautiful. Yes. And it's just been selling so well. So then people have been buying that for their younger children Mm -hmm. that, you know, they can read it to their preschooler or kindergarten Mm -hmm. and then of course kids when they get older can read it and then about six to eight six to ten can start to do the activity book because then they're starting to old enough to be able to do that we we got that published and all proceeds go to rogers wildlife perfect so they are benefiting from that and then how do we change things we have to educate the next generation Mm -hmm. so i get pictures with kids holding up the book and 
I've had videos where kids are saying, mm. you're not supposed to dump ducks, don't buy Easter ducks, mm. or don't feed them bread. If they're there, that's not good. Feed them lettuce, grapes, or watermelon. They're telling people, or their, their other friends, or their parents even, that's so exciting. So once the film comes out and hits these festivals, I'd love to take these activity books to the mm -hmm. screenings mm -hmm. and the other books. And then if people would like to buy them and see them, then that money, of course, goes to goes to Rogers. So and when is the do you know do you know when the release date is for the documentary? Where are you guys at in that production process? Yes. So the film is going to be completely finished by January fifteenth. Ooh, so awesome. the, the edit, I finished editing it. It's 41 minutes. Perfect. To the second, which is great. And that's considered a feature film for film mm -hmm. festivals. Anything mm -hmm. over 40 minutes is a feature. Yes. Anything under you got that minute. Short <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because when it started getting so long, I thought, oh my gosh, just, I can't have this fall into a short film category. It's too long because it's hard yeah. to program then because they like to have a lot of short films. Right. So it's perfect, but it's also good for broadcast. Right, because commercials. Usually broadcast about 15 minutes, 16 minutes of commercials, and then they can do some promos. So we already have interest in uh, PBS to air it throughout Good. all of Texas. So Amazing. we're going to have our fingers crossed that that would happen after our film festival run. I can tell you that in March, I don't know the exact date yet. We're still confirming it. A wonderful organization here called the Dallas Video Fest, which is over 30 years old, big film festival. They are sponsoring films throughout the year and they are going to sponsor Honk's world premiere as a part of their festival at one of our big theaters here in Dallas. And then I, I, I can't mention it. I can't mention anything yet. I'm so sorry, but- it's okay. Um, we were already accepted into another film festival and we haven't even started submitting yet. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. Congratulations. Because I think people are, are excited about honks. I went to New York for sound mixing. And, I saw that. Um, yeah. Got the sound mixing and design done. And then uh, right now it is currently being colored. All the color grading and correction is being done by a wonderful gentleman I've worked with before. And he is out of Los Angeles. Okay. And so he's been sending me some examples and it just looks beautiful. I cannot and, wait. Uh, I just, I can't wait for this. I really can't. You know, I think it's going to be my favorite film. And, and, but I am oh. so close to it. It's hard right. to say because how can I not? But I just cry. But looking at it, I've had I've had a couple of other people watch it and they're like, oh no, 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 no. I think this is just so, so great because it really does follow his story and it's good for all ages. You know, children can come, you know, and adults, everybody. It'll I think it's going to be wonderful. You were just telling us about him swimming across to you the first time and I was tearing up. So I can't imagine oh what gosh. I'm going to do when I see I this. I said, if, if somebody doesn't cry watching this honk film, then I don't even want to know you. I'm <laughs> 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 people have said are you going to bring honk to the red carpet and i was like no i am <laughs> not because you know what people were like you should here in dallas and i but you know what it would stress him out yeah. so much yeah and i'm like i am not doing that for promotional purposes not no. that baby he deserves to be happy and relaxed so what you could do go out there and do a video you could do a little red carpet at Rogers and then yeah. dangle some watermelons so he can walk the red carpet at Rogers. And that's his big premiere. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly. There. So what yeah. message are you hoping that audiences are going to take away from this? You call it a quarantine love story. What are you hoping they I leave know, with? It really is a quarantine love story, an unusual love story. I hope, number one, that they feel the hope and the love and yeah. the joyfulness of his story. And then I hope that they learn because we do have an educational aspect to this film where when I'm talking to this professional in New York who does this all the time rescuing where she talks about 
what they face, these domestic ducks and geese and that sort of thing. And so I hope that when people see this, they will they will know and they will share with others like, yeah, we're not buying these baby ducks and mm-hmm. geese unless they have the type of farm and everything to care for them. And that about dumping ducks and what to feed them in when they do see ducks and geese in the parks and raise their awareness and, and education mm-hmm. about it. I don't think people look at birds that way. See, mm-hmm. I think, you know, when you do a film or you, you have a story about a dog or a cat, you know, everybody's like, oh my gosh, a bunny even, mm-hmm. you know, oh wow. Because you don't really think of birds or waterfowls as having those kind of emotions. Right. But when you hear Kathy Rogers interview and she's been doing this for 40 years, you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that birds and waterfowl can have the same type of emotional attachments to humans that dogs and cats can. Yes, that's what we found with ours, Bernice. And I had some, he was not famous like Honk, but I had a pet rooster, Roger, that I adored. And I have, I'll have to send, I'll privately send you one of our selfies. I finally got a picture with him, but I, he only lived like four years. I found him in our shed, you know, he had passed away. I don't know why, but that broke my heart. I was, I was, devastated but I had taught him to go into a little crate when I pointed and he would run to me when he saw me and he let me pick him up and he was he was just my baby so I and it's been two years and I still find myself missing I just desperately miss him he was one of my favorite pets that I've had yeah they're amazing and like Kathy talks about it each one of them comes in with a different story and each Mm -hmm. one has a different personality and I can just see it now in hanging out with a lot of the different geese Mm -hmm. there and ducks there I hope that that's what people walk away with, with just that, you know, raising awareness, that education that can help try to uh, steer this problem. What is next for you? What are you going to do after this? Rest. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's funny. I started Wow Films in 2016 Uh and I have done back to back to back to back Mm -hmm. films. And I am Mm -hmm. still trying to wrap up the film that started my production company in the first place. I still have to wrap up that story, Mm -hmm. but it's okay because it's the kind of story where the more years that pass, the better. So I have that on my plate. After I had spent a year and a half working on Pieces of Us, that other documentary feature, Mm -hmm. and it's an hour and a half film, full feature. Of course, I was hired to do that. So I needed to have it be the priority and and get that done. And I was tired because, you know, directing that and going to all the different places and filming it. And then I took nine months during this COVID time, during when I met Honk, I was editing that film. I was saying like, wow, when I finish this, I need to take a break. And then I met Honk. Oh, and I was like, (laughs) oh my gosh, this film fell into my lap. I would love to just take a little bit of time, you know, maybe do a show uh, here. (laughs) I I work at one of the equity houses here in Dallas a lot, but yeah, maybe take a, just, I say that like a six month break or something and then, Mm -hmm. then get back into it. Yeah. Rest is important. It helps. Yeah. You know, and you get, when you're sort of, when you're indie and you do it all, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, think about it. You're really draining your creativity when you're shooting it. You're figuring out what the story is, how are you going to put it together? And then you edit it. And documentaries are hard because you can do it in so many different ways. Yes. And, you know, it's not like you have that script from a narrative it takes a lot out of you to, to handle it all. It's sort of a one woman job, oh. sort of, you know? Yeah. So I think I like to just chill out for a little bit. Do you know what? Mm-hmm. Probably knowing me, something else will fall on my lap and I'll be like, okay, I'll rest after this. <laughs> after this one, after <laughs> this one last thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to jump in and ask a quick follow-up question, if I may. Sure. Um, you had mentioned your, your two books that you hope to possibly sell them at some of the film showings. 
but is there a way that our listeners could purchase those books now if they oh, wanted yeah. to? Are they available anywhere? Yes, thank you. And I can actually um, send you a link. You're able to post that. Uh, we published through Book Baby. Okay. It's called okay. Book Baby. And what you do is when you go on Book Baby, there's Book Baby Shop. And when you hit that, all, then all you have to do is put in, you know, Honk the Goose. One of the books at least will come up and then you'll see the other book as well. I can send you that link. Please okay. do. Thank you. Okay. So my final question for you today is the theme for our, for this month for us is fearless females. What mm -hmm. message would you like to offer to the female listeners of our podcast who aspire to pursue their own dreams or goals within the entertainment industry? Great, great question. I would say, well, first of all, like I've said before, learn your craft, learn it in and out because somebody else is learning it and you need to know your skills, whatever they are, whether you're, you want to be a cinematographer, a director, editor, whatever. Then I would say, don't put yourself in a certain box. As an artist, you can do so many things. If somebody would have told me 30 years ago when I first moved to New York that I would be making films, I would have just thought that they were crazy, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just a singer. Mm -hmm. I just do stage. That's what I thought. So you can really do it all. And so don't, don't put yourself in a box thinking that you can't. And then I, I say, empower yourself to do it and learn it because there are not a lot of women in the world of filmmaking. There's not a lot of female directors. There's not a lot right. of female cinematographers. And we need more. We need films with a female perspective. Don't be intimidated that there's, that is still sort of a male dominated field. You deserve a place at that table. You deserve a place to lead that table. Learn from the best, Ava DuVernay, you know, learn from these great documentarians or, or other filmmakers. And don't feel like because you didn't learn it in school, you can't learn it now. I got my degrees in opera. You can learn. There are courses out there. And when in doubt, search YouTube. I can't right. tell you how much <laughs> I've learned on YouTube. I'll be editing like, how do you do this effect? I go on YouTube and then I follow it. Join groups, other female filmmakers because there's power in numbers and support each other through that. There's the Alliance of Women Directors. That's a great organization. There's organizations out there that are specifically to support females in this industry. And so seek those out and then you can find that camaraderie and that support. I love it. Oh, goodness. I, I know I can't thank you look. enough for this. I know. I, I, yes, I mean. We're kind of speechless. Oh, <laughs> no. Well, I just want to say how inspirational you are and how you've just been a wonderful example of what you've just said. You're agreeing to come on our podcast and support us and to mm -hmm. share your story and to tell us all about the wonderful work you're doing, the the great books and films and all the, the wonderful things that are coming out uh, around Honk and otherwise. It just means so much to us and we really appreciate it. We do. Oh, please. My, it's my pleasure. You know, we're, we're all helping each other, right? You know, and I think that that's what we should do. And you're helping getting Honk's story out there, which is so great, paying it forward. And you have such a wonderful platform to talk. And it's from a female perspective, which I love. That's and, right. And, you know, and you cover so many topics. And uh, I just think it's fantastic. Thank you. It was an honor to, to be here with you during this conversation.
As many of you know, we record our episodes long in advance. The interview you just heard was conducted on December 29th, 2021. We are replacing our original post-interview talkback with this epilogue that we're now recording on February 13th. We wanted to let our listeners know that Cheryl's beloved honk passed away very peacefully at Rogers Wildlife Rehabilitation Center on February 1st. The next day, Cheryl released a very emotional Instagram video with the details of his passing. She recalled that she was able to spend a good chunk of time with him and went on to comment that Honk just couldn't get close enough to her. At the end of their visit, he went over to his favorite pile of leaves and simply went to sleep. One of the Rogers wildlife workers found him shortly after. It has since been determined that there was truly nothing wrong with him. He was simply much older than they had originally thought. And as Cheryl put it, he understood his job was done. She went on to write, Personally, I am gutted and heartbroken, but I encourage all of you to keep walking in the parks. You just never know how it will change your life. So, we wanted to take this moment to celebrate the legacy of this sweet animal who truly has changed the world. Since our interview, Cheryl's film has been accepted into numerous film festivals, and just a few days ago, she released news on her Honk the Film account that Honk is being inducted into the Animal Heroes Hall of Fame in the Republic of Cyprus. Cheryl went on to write, They consider him a therapy goose for the world and an advocate for abandoned birds and waterfowl. His legacy lives on. Well done, sweet boy. Well done. The great pain of loving animals is that they never live as long as we want them to. Our hearts break with a unique kind of pain, but I think that pain is a physical reminder of just how much of our hearts they occupied. Honk's last two years of life were full of love and joy. He reached untold numbers of people, and it's just the beginning. Cheryl is continuing to spread Honk's message of kindness by introducing us to his friends at Rogers. I've seen videos featuring Beetle Goose and a sweet parrot named Rico. Life will go on. We'll love the friends left behind, but we'll never forget the impact created by those who came before, who still have a huge piece of our hearts. During the course of the interview, we discovered that our release day for this episode was also Cheryl's birthday. We'd like to raise our glasses to this remarkable woman and her deep love for Honk. Thank you for introducing us and for sharing him with us. We hope you have a wonderful birthday. Cheryl's documentary will have its world premiere in Dallas on March 2nd. In light of Honk's passing, she created a new ending to the film. For the final official toast, we'd like to close with her words. On her Facebook page, she wrote, His legacy, his last great gift, that love outweighs grief. This new moment in the film is bittersweet. A toast to love, to friendship, to kindness, and to a goose that healed the world when we needed it most. Cheers. Cheers. episode of Scandal Water was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. All music was written, composed, performed, and mixed by Josh Martin. The artwork was designed by Matt C. Adams, while our website was developed by Joshua Reith. 
If you like what you hear and you want to help keep the Scandal Water brewing, please go to our website, scandalwaterpodcast.com. Just click on your podcatcher of choice, then hit follow to subscribe. And while you're there, you might as well leave us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget, it's always more fun when you share your tea with others. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.